everyone. We are back with my sis, Jack, on the co-host mic. Jack, how's it going? It's great. <laughs> it's great. I took the nine for the first time here. It was nice and quick. Uh, on the extra special guest mic, we have the first queen on the pod, Vanity Unfair. I feel so lucky. <laughs> Hi, everybody. I'm honored. I uh, was preparing for this episode by reading a bunch of old archives from Project X. Yeah. The magazine from this era, basically, mm -hmm. that a lot of the people we'll discuss were involved in creating and writing and being featured in. And uh, there was... An issue that caught my attention because Michael Alec was on the cover, and then there was a letter from the editor. It made me think of you. Oh, wait, really? It says, once again, vanity rears its ugly head in the shape of Project X. But is vanity really ugly or just alternate beauty? Monuments to man's vanity have been built over time and condemned at their debuts, only to be revered later. The Eiffel Tower, greeted with revulsion at its premiere, is now idolized as the symbol of every Frenchman's masculinity. Another nation's vanity compelled it to build a wall so great that it is visible from the moon with a naked eye, yet it failed to serve its purpose to keep out foreigners. Now it stands as a testament to ridiculous ideals. These ideals are similar to the frivolous ones predominating in the following pages, making Project X a definitive symbol of vanity for the 90s an often disparaged handheld looking glass that will become an object of reverence for the future. Therefore, vanity is sanity and it's never ugly. And that's so crazy because that's my Instagram bio. So <laughs> crazy how they copied me. Um, I love that. That's how it kind of how I got my drag name of like being vanity unfair is like um, talking about how the queer community is labeled as being very vain. Yeah. And so like my entire childhood I was kind of made to feel super vain yeah so that's why I wanted it to be vanity for sure I think there's like a lost distinction between like vanity and narcissism yeah. and people will mix those up I don't have like a good explanation for how to distinguish them well I think like power because I don't think vanity has anything to do with like anybody else's power except your own yeah and I think narcissism like, narcissists oftentimes want a lot of power just in kind of their circles and kind of in their world, and they're the center of their world, which is, like, on topic with, like, Michael Alec. Totally. They projected on other people. Well, yeah. Michael Alec, I feel like, was a huge narcissist. He actually got diagnosed... I wrote this down. He got diagnosed with histrionic personality disorder. I saw that as well, yeah. and, I mean, it sounds like histrionic is... Um, you exaggerate things to the furthest extent and your emotions drastically change from one moment to the next, constantly seeking attention, which I think is where you could confuse it with narcissism because one might think a narcissist is constantly looking for attention as well. But I think, yeah, I think a narcissist is a little less um, I'm Googling it. emotional and yeah. a little more manipulative for nefarious reasons yeah. like histrionic might Which, be I don't really know, necessarily know if Michael Alley really was that but I do think that like everybody has like narcissistic tendencies yeah. I actually don't think there's like a true definition of like a narcissist well, of like someone who's like you know what I mean it's usually just like a yeah. trait that you carry with like another sort of like diagnosis diagnosis 
I didn't go to college. Uh, <laughs> so I just googled this shit. Okay, so traits of histrionic. Seek attention regardless of type, willing to be viewed as fragile or dependent to get attention. Display rapidly shifting and shallow expression of emotions. Use sexuality to gain attention. More common in women. Well, that sounds very relatable to me, personally. Well, well okay. <laughs> now, traits of narcissist. Expect admiration and positive feedback. Inflated sense of self. Dismissive of others. Struggle with empathy. Less emotionally expressive. Use sex for personal gain. More common in men. Oh. Uh, interesting. So there's a lot of kind what of... What about the faggots? Yeah. That's the question. And then yeah. it says, people with narcissistic personality disorder have a need to be admired, get positive attention that is in line with their inflated sense of self-worth. Oh. They struggle with lack of attention or negative attention. People with histrionic personality disorder, on the other hand, seek attention in general regardless of the type of attention. Okay, actually, I'm really glad you read that because that explains a lot to me about why Alec would be more histrionic because the negative attention was just as good for him. Right. And we'll get into his murder of Angel Melendez and his behavior after yeah. the bragging. Yeah. The kind of like willingness to lean in to sensationalize the story. Mm-hmm. That's not good attention. And he still like leaned yeah, so yeah. far into it. <laughs> yeah, but also like on the topic of that, like not to go fully into it, we can wait for later, but also says something about like everybody else. For like months, everybody just knew that Michael Alec killed somebody and like he was yes. openly confessing to it and nobody turned him in. So maybe it was like they were afraid of his power. I think the way I want to structure the episode is thinking about like what is the legacy of this culture mm-hmm. that does get referenced so often to this day. What would justice have looked like? What can it look like now for Angel? And for just like the tragicness of, or the horror of the way that everything went down. The mystery. Like, was it premeditated? My Somewhat. instinct is like, like I don't think it was premeditated. I don't think it was premeditated at all, to be honest. Yeah, I don't need Anything it. happened right then and there? Well, yeah, I don't think they planned on like killing Angel. I think that just yeah. like happened totally. out of rage and then they killed him. Right. And, and we're probably like, fuck. And then they were like, fuck. And then it's a tough balance of these two people were like so strung out on drugs. So they didn't really know what they were doing. And also still holding them accountable because, you know, like there are so many drug addicts. And just because you're a drug addict doesn't mean you're going to murder somebody. So I think they kind of just like fucked up and then they just handled it horribly. And yeah. the whole thing is just like really and sad. it's easy for it to seem premeditated because there are so many things like leading up to it that's well, like, like what they did after too it's almost like in his brain if it makes a better story for it to seem premeditated then he might as well like spread that rumor to make the story more sensational but there's all of these like easter eggs and the leading up like his interest in the blood feast party mm-hmm. which is based on a movie that features like de- dismembering someone's yeah. legs mm-hmm. in the in that movie and uh just the way he like talks shit about angel in general mm-hmm. um i guess he was in a position to like decide what was in and out and he thought angel was out and like yeah. would definitely let that 
be known. Anyway, okay, Alex from Indiana, mm-hmm. South Bend. Mm-hmm. Heard of it? <laughs> yeah. Pete Buttigieg. Oh my god. The reincarnation <laughs> of Michael Alec is Pete Buttigieg. Yeah. You heard it here first. Also, what is Pete Buttigieg doing currently? Do He's we- like the something of transportation. Right. I d- we talked on uh, another episode about train derailments okay. that have been happening. Well, because one of them had a ton of like toxic chemicals that polluted oh, the like water. Oh, that whole situation. In like Ohio. East Palestine. Yeah. 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 And a lot of the like weirdos that I follow on Twitter were upset that Pete wasn't on site. So because he's in charge of transportation. Toxic chemicals? You want him to be on site? (laughs) I don't know. Nobody's ever happy. No, totally. I I mean, my mom would always say politicians are like head football coaches because they either get too much credit or too much blame. Well, fuck politicians. Hate politicians. I think politicians are weird. Also, like, there is a similarity with the concept of, like, a politician and kind of being a representative for a whole community and group and speaking for them, which was Michael Alec, not to bring us back to the combo, but (laughs) I feel like he was kind of their spokesperson and their leader and then got too much power. So it kind of just always happens like that. It's like a certain amount of power that you start to get where you just feel like rules don't apply to you. And I think that was kind of, that's why if he planned this whole thing out, this whole murder out, if he really would have acted that way after, to me, that is somebody who thinks like no sort of consequence will ever apply to them because they kind of just were like, oh, well, yeah, this happened, but who cares? Yeah. Yeah. I think Alec made it a point early in his party planning career to push against political correctness, push against like some of the bourgeois banality of like post-AIDS, um, it's a very interesting time. Puritan values. Yeah, yeah. It I mean, yeah, he definitely was going against the grain, like, right. full force. Well, I think the thing with Michael is there was, like, a hole to be filled in New York nightlife because the club kids didn't really start to happen until the year after that Andy Warhol died and the death of nightlife in 1987. And then in, like, 1988, 1999 was when... Michael was given the limelight by Peter Gation and then he kind of like created the whole sort of club kid scene and like through all the parties. I mean the limelight club is gaudy and would y'all go to like a church repurposed into a club? Yes, a church for what? That's so a beautiful cunty. church that was repurposed into a club. Like, oh, it's pretty yeah. cool. I mean, yeah, absolutely. there's not really any space that I like wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we I don't mean, really even have good spaces here. There are no good, good like dance clubs. I mean, not that I can think of like a good like. I did go to a church party, kind of. but it wasn't as cathedrally. It was more like youth group church. Like, okay. <laughs> like well, basement. Yeah. It was still fun. It was yeah. recently in Logan Square, but it doesn't have the same glamour at all. Yeah. Um, no, I love that. Yeah, it was like kind of funny. Venue. I don't know. There's Witch Finger. Boots is pretty cool. The last one was above a gap in Logan Square. Uh, the first one I went to. Oh, on the corner? That gap on the corner? Yeah. yeah. yeah it was above it. I went to one on Asia on Argyle, above like a restaurant. The Chinese restaurant? Yeah. I went to that one and that night got hate crimed on the blue line. After Charlie? After Charlie, yeah, I went to Charlie (laughs) and then I went to Boots and then I like left by myself. 
had my AirPods in and like looked up and someone had been yelling at me, but I was tuning it out. Uh -huh. And then like felt my head like go against the back of the train and like realized I was getting punched in the face. Oh my God. It was really fucking scary. I like, ran out the door in the next stop and he was gonna follow me and I looked at him and was like, leave me alone. And then he went back on uh, and I just like uh, walked home. Ugh, the blue line is like so like uncomfortable to me now. But um, that was like one of the best nights ever for me. <laughs> okay, that's good to give you. This bitch tells her whole stop story of getting punched in the face, and you're like, that night was good. I love that energy. Keep that up. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's awful. Uh, <laughs> it's fine. I uh, learned my lesson, I'd say. Not about. No, there's no lesson. Well, I mean, don't be gay. Stop being gay. Take some. <laughs> I was alone. You were just minding your own business and fucking out, and it was yeah. probably like 3 a.m. No, I know you were doing choreography to Lady Gaga's Judas, <laughs> and that man came up to you, and he said, <laughs> and I would have done the same damn thing. Voguing on the L. Yeah. Voguing on the L. Voguing on the blue line. Mm-hmm. Damn. I mean, yeah, I was wearing, like... Shorts that were like this length and one of those sweater vests with nothing so underneath that. Very. Booty shorts and a sweater vest. Mm -hmm. And you're like, why am I getting hate crimed right now? <laughs> <laughs> we can joke about it. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. So, okay. Of course, Warhol was an important fixture in the downtown scene. There was a term used to describe some of the other prominent figures that that was Celebutantes. Yeah, that was made by um, uh, Michael Musto. Oh, he kind of coined Musto. the term. He was a writer and I think editor for... Um, the Village Voice. Yeah, and I think he worked um, on like Interview Magazine too with mm -hmm. Andy Warhol. He was like very much... Michael Musto was like very much like the decade before all of the club okay. kids. So while the club kids were coming up, he was like really in the scene, especially like in the beginning, like in the eighties, but was like, just like of an older generation. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And I think James St. James mm -hmm. could be described as both a celebutant and a club kid. He already had his name. Well, out I think there. the celebutants word club kids is kind of what I meant to say. Like, before there was the club kid term, it was, like, yeah, in the late 80s, they it was, were. like, celebutant. Like, James was for sure. Right. Um, but Alec is clearly club kid and not celebutant, I would say. Yeah. And then there were probably some people that were clearly celebutant but not club kid. But there's so much crossover. Yeah. The difference, from my understanding, is celebutant has a little bit more of a trust fund connotation. Mm -hmm. And club kids, it's really just about how, like, outrageously you can present your Yourself, sure. and you can kind of invent your own celebrity. Mm -hmm. It's more about persona, developing a character, kind of like totally. being a nightlife personality. I think that was like a huge thing. But a celebutant's not like a socialite? A celebutant is like a socialite, but like a mini celebrity. But I think with celebutants, it's more about you're, you were just who you were. You were fabulous because you were fabulous and you knew the right people. And I think then that kind of graduated to club kids where it became more like nightlife. You invented your own personality. You dressed up in crazy, crazy outfits. I mean, to my understanding. I think so. I mean, there are fabulous people in outfits at Studio 54 too. And obviously I feel like that scene just kind of migrated and grew into the club kids. But it was a different generation, like a younger generation. Yeah. it's There's so much cool shit in New York City in the second half of the 20th century. I struggle with 
like how much credit to give Alec for the energy of the nightlife in that span of, I would say like nine years, 87 to like 96, Six, 95, yeah. yeah. Because I mean, time. he was, the canvas he was working with was cool already. Yeah. It just happened to have an open spot that he very cleverly took advantage of yeah. and claimed as his own with a lot of wit, a lot of charisma, a lot of nerve. Yeah. <laughs> the list goes on. No, I fully agree. I mean, if you want to talk about, like, credit, I do feel like he does deserve the credit of kind of, like, creating the nightlife scene. I mean, obviously he's not the whole scene, Yeah. but he was the fucking face of the scene. I think he was the person who... I think pushed everybody to be their most outrageous self and right. I don't know if it would have been the same if he wasn't there. And so I, I think that is enough for me to give credit where credit is due. And before the murder, he was already being reported on as the ringleader and thought of as the founder of this scene. Like, Geraldo shows he was always, like, front and center. Mm-hmm. It's not like the murder is what made him infamous. He was already infamous. Yeah, he was on the cover of, like, New York Magazine, and I think that's what really propelled him into being who he was, was his kind of, like, you're literally putting Michael Alec's face on the cover of this magazine and coining the term Club Kids. And then, yeah, I think all of the media attention after that, it was always based around him, so... I, I think it was in the Party Monster shockumentary not to be confused with the film featuring macaulay culkin chloe sevigny seth green marilyn manson mm-hmm. oh yeah in the semi <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. he like rolls up in a semi yeah like, oh. which do you know anything about christina i've heard about the like semi truck situation yeah i don't don't even know if that's true i don't know if that's true i I think it was like a city bus yeah and i'm sure also christina was not driving i think she's just kind of like an easy target to play up okay i want to hear more about christina but going back into things that you can't really deny michael the credit for like the outlaw parties Mm -hmm. were totally his idea oh for sure for sure going to the mcdonald's or the train making that your club spot, which I think in his words was just like, oh, I got bored of partying at clubs. Like, we need to make this more exciting. I mean, it's iconic. It's so fucking iconic. So Christina, I don't know much about her. Christina, from my understanding, she's kind of an unknown sort of figure. Christina was kind of this nightlife personality. I don't think she was really even in... I wouldn't necessarily call her a club kid. Um, She also, like, died at the beginning of the scene. I think, like... 89 but um she was this trans woman who came from new england into new york had a fake russian accent and used to be this like english teacher was like 50 years old iconic and marilyn manson portrays her in party monster but she's one of my snatch game characters if i ever were to need it because she's so fucking cunty and all of um, Nelson Sullivan Nelson was really close to her and has a bunch of videos with her in her apartment at the Chelsea Hotel you can tell that she's just like so sweet but she's so strung out and like so drunk and kind of this just like cookie. it's Christina Superstar um yeah okay yeah. like running around like oh. no that was like very much like her though if you watch these like <laughs> just like real documentary videos there are a lot of videos that are solely dedicated to her but Christina was kind of a misunderstood I uh 
loved the images I saw of her. And, um, okay, had a thought. Yeah, I guess just, like, getting back to Michael. I uh, have heard different things about, like, how early Michael's drug use started. Mm-hmm. Not a big user at sober. the beginning. He didn't like drugs or alcohol. He thought that they, like, distracted from the party. Yeah. Which, it's actually, like, a cool perspective. To be sober partying? I mean, yeah, but also... Mm. Just don't do heroin, but... Yeah, sober party-goers. Me sober shaming. It's not my lane. You can find sober shaming. I mean, me. (laughs) But also, like, not really. Be sober, but, like... Yeah. You know what I mean. Yeah, and I think most sober people can also even be like, yeah... They want it to be happening and, like, are supportive of it. Yeah. Yeah. Also, like, people are sober for different reasons. You do get a high from attention if you're that kind of personality or, I don't know. Everyone loves a little attention. Sometimes the high is not from the drug. It's from being a little bit. Yeah. Like, really, like, giggly. Yeah, I also think... Michael, like, started this whole thing out trying to prove something, trying to be like, I am gonna, like, run this, and and these are my ideas, and we're gonna have fucking fun, and everybody just do what I say type of energy. And so I think he probably started trying to be really constructive. Yeah. And, um... Like, it's a lot of work. Like, wanted to... Yeah, exactly. So everywhere that Michael worked, Peter Gation was pouring drugs into these clubs. He did a lot of crazy things, some inspiring things, some gross things. Loved to provoke and shock and, like... All of these crazy parties that would just get more and more outrageous. It's all about being shocking. And and it's in reaction to a conservative culture. Yeah, the Reagan administration. You're coming out of the beginning of the AIDS epidemic. And, like, you know, these are people that would, like, pose in photos ugly on purpose. Like, that's why you see all these, like, photos of these club kids making, like, crazy faces, sticking their tongue out, putting their finger in their nose. Like, they did this because it was, like, counterculture, because it was cool. It was, like, peak counterculture post-conservative America. And it was a safe haven for everybody that didn't agree with what was going on. Yeah. start. Well, yeah, I, okay, that's... I'm glad you said that, because I think... One thing that I really like to pick apart and question is the idea of the safe haven, (laughs) the idea of like people going to New York because they were rejected by their family or needing acceptance and needing freedom to express themselves because some people like claim that story for themselves when really their parents were loving people that didn't judge them and like they just wanted to have as much fun as they could so they're gonna go there for that reason but like the marketing for the gay community isn't gonna grab those people as a representative but that's a big portion of people in college who like pretended to be poor I mean, like, every Chicago suburb kid ever. Yeah. Well, okay, see, the thing is, I I went to school in the Twin Cities, and, like, most of my friends were there on, like, loans and whatever. I was very lucky and had my tuition paid for, yada, yada, yada. I never, like, pretended that that wasn't the case. Right. But then a lot of people that I met would put on this front, like, their some struggling poor oh god that's everybody in chicago i'm like dude shut the fuck up yeah 
That's everybody at SAIC. Like, every yeah. SAIC fucking... Yes! Know, like, oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. Just, like, own where you're from. Yeah. Be authentic. Yeah. Have respect for the people that are doing it on their own. Period. Um, I agree. Going back to kind of, like, this safe haven topic. I guess, where were you going with that? Thank you. Okay, so, Alec... I'm sure experienced some homophobia in his South Bend. Yeah, he was really bullied. Yeah. And I believe that, not not specifically because he was gay, but because he was attention seeking. Like I think also mostly because he was gay. Okay, so there is sometimes can be like a chicken or the egg when it comes to attention seeking behavior and being the recipient of bullying. Mm-hmm. In this case, like this histrionic personality, is that a response to early trauma? Sometimes it is like really unjust prejudice, and sometimes it is like this person that is sort of begging for attention. Mm-hmm. And then there's, I guess, different levels of sympathy that I have for different people that were bullied. So, are you not sympathetic to Michael Allen getting bullied in South Bend, Indiana? I don't know. I'm definitely, I'm definitely sympathetic to it. Just from kind of like from where I'm from, because I feel like I had very similar experience. Fun fact: James St. James is from um, a town that was right by me. In Michigan, right? Yeah, Saginaw, Michigan. And uh, I mean, honey, if it was anything like it was when I was growing up, and I know it was ten times worse when he was growing up, it was bad. People don't. I think mm, small town USA does one thing, and that's just notice anything that's different from them. And so the minute that they notice that something is different than them, they start to put it away, to shove it away. And I think that that is probably where the outrageous behavior began. But I think they're probably, and you know, I don't fucking know this kid's life, but like, if I was like incredibly bullied in this like small conservative town, I like, I'm sure, I mean, it's Indiana in the late 70s, early 80s. I'm sure this kid was fucking bullied the house down. But, like, did he egg it on? And, like, sometimes that, like, you know, gives you power if you just, like, own into it. And and Mm -hmm. that's where he could have gotten that. Moved to New York when he was 18 and then found a new group where he's like, okay, now I'm not surrounded by all these people that are bullying me, but I still want to be bigger than everybody else. And so maybe that was the mentality. Yeah. No, I agree what you say. Like, owning into it kind of does give you power. Yeah, like, yeah. People will make the joke before somebody else can. Like, it won't hurt as much if you get ahead of it. Yeah, so if you're just a naturally... Fl- I mean, I definitely relate to this. I've never come out to anybody ever. I've just, from the minute I've been born, I've been an insanely um, flamboyant person. You know, people were, like, calling me gay before I even knew what it meant. So it's like, I'm sure if you're already a flamboyant person in a small town, then when people start bullying you and you don't feel like you belong, there are either, like, two... You can either fight or flight, and then it, it kind of grew from there. Okay. Of, like, yeah, kind yeah. of, how outrageous can I be? How much can I get away with? Totally. I think that it's very plausible and likely. I probably am a little cynical because of RuPaul's Drag Race uh, forced sob story thing. Well, yeah. You know what I mean? And isn't that fucking funny? How they try to seem so fucking relatable with everybody spewing out these sob stories when really, like, all it does is just train our brains to, like, dissociate and not care because they're not honest moments 
on the show specifically. They're, yeah. And it's so manipulative yeah. of that show. It is. Yeah. And it, I mean, you know, I can take ownership of my own undue suspiciousness that people are lying about their trauma, but... I don't know, maybe inflating it? I would feel pressured to inflate, like, those parts of my story because they yeah. need it for TV. It's, it's kind of like a marketing thing, not just for the show, but for the community, yeah. you know? I mean, the show definitely loves that. Oh, here comes yes. Andrew! Well, uh, you can come in. Is that him? We're at a transitional moment where we don't know. Yeah, yeah, I'll restart this. Well, like, I'm gonna put a pin in this and stop recording for a second. Mother! Wouldn't you say, uh, like, ballroom culture preceded club kid culture? Yeah. Timeline-wise? Not like yeah. one led to the other or anything, just yeah. on the timeline. Yeah, no, the ballroom started before. I think both oh, okay. both kind of probably came out around the same time. You think so? And yeah, absolutely. And I think that's also like an important topic. Just the fact that like all, a majority of all of the people who really led um, the club kid movement are white. Like yeah. um, <laughs> white kids who came from... Like, probably some rich town with their parents' trust fund came in and were on the cover of these magazines getting, like, a lot of recognition. And then you look at all of these on Geraldo. I don't know if there's a single black person that they brought as, like, one of the club kids. Other than, I like, feel like RuPaul. the two scenes are, like, very sort of, like, different. I think the important thing to note is that the scenes were pretty segregated. But I also think they, like, intertwined. Like, I have the wallpapers book. There's, like, a section where it's a bunch of photos of the club kids in, in ballroom, and then it goes into ballroom. So, yeah, fully. Like, it definitely seems like a little bit of, like, a later ballroom, like, more, like, 90s ballroom, less 80s ballroom. Um, but there are, like, there's a bunch of photos. So I think they overlapped. I mean, it's, okay. it's queer culture. Well, I just think the groups are segregated in, like, sort yeah. of a way. I mean, but I don't think the ballroom scene made the club kids, if that's what you're kind of, like, insinuating. Oh, no, I wouldn't say that either. I, I agree, especially in New York, where there are so many neighborhoods. Harlem versus downtown. Mm -hmm. And when I first watched Paris is Burning, it was such a revelation for how much slang comes from black queer culture. Mm -hmm. I don't know, I guess, like, on Twitter, I was like, oh, bitch has been saying this for a while. Yeah. And when I saw Party Monster for the first time, it wasn't as much about slang or anything, but visually, girl, like, I know so many, like, people that were serving looks totally inspired by these people, and it's no shade to them now, but it wasn't as original as I first thought. Well, was. that's why I don't like Lady Gaga like everybody else does, sorry. <laughs> she is borrowing heavily from we literally just like do not have i mean we just don't really have queer culture today i don't really feel like it We're, lately i have like this is a hot take but i just feel like it's really weird for like queer people to really like admire these heterosexual women i think it's like really weird that the way that these like straight women cater to gaze. Like, it's like she's assimilating into our culture. She wants to seem relatable to us. So it's a little more like fag haggy, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. Should we get back on? I want to get to, I want to get to Angel. I think his family immigrated from Colombia and he 
maybe saw a Geraldo special. I don't know if that's true. That's something Michael is quoted as saying because he was painting a picture of Angel as a poser. Like club kids at the beginning kind of can be given credit for inventing themselves and at least with Michael created his own shit without it being handed to him as opposed to like a trust fund kid, which uh, there are plenty of those as well. But uh, I think that there's a gatekeeping that happens after you like create something for yourself and the term poser, I've never used that word. I've never understood it. Really? You don't think people are posers to this day? I just, it's just not in my vocabulary. What's the difference between- You're trying to pretend like you're something that you're completely not. That's what, that's my definition of a poser is somebody who's trying to be something that they're not. That's what social media is. I think our entire society is people just being posers. I think people put labels to themselves Mm -hmm. so that grants them something. Well, it's they saw somebody else do something and they wanted to take a shortcut to where somebody else has yeah. arrived to. Somebody else arrived there through their own wants experience. To, like, fit in, ultimately, kind of. Yeah. Anyway. Going back to Angel. Yeah. I think it's really like unfair to call Angel a poser. I agree. But I just like never really understood why people were just like, he was a poser. I mean, it could just like yeah. be racism. Basically, racism. And insecurity around if they lose that one indicator of their claim to influence, then they feel less powerful. He was put into the role of like, all right, you're the drug dealer. You've arrived to the scene because you want to come party with us. I don't know if Michael like made him a drug dealer though. I think he probably dealt drugs and then Michael saw that as an opportunity, but then also knew his eagerness would blind him to the fact that Michael is using him. Yeah. And so I think he probably saw, oh, this guy Mm, deals drugs. Nailed it. And he is really, really eager to be a part of the cool kids. So I'll tease him along and he can hang with us and he can get in for free in all of these clubs because that's what sparked the original argument right before Angel's death is that like I think it was Angel wasn't allowed in the clubs anymore because Michael was upset with him. And so that kind of like sparked some like tension between them because um, yeah, Michael owed Angel money, like thousands of dollars worth of drugs and he wouldn't pay it. Rudy Uh, Giuliani came into... He became the mayor of New York in 1994 and then in 1996 he passed this quality of life law in New York City. That's when the feds padlocked Limelight Mm -hmm. and started to investigate Peter. So that left Angel and Michael without a job. And at this point, Michael was pretty heavy into drugs already. Ketamine, heroin, coke, ecstasy. So after Limelight is closed, Michael... When did that happen? September 95. Okay. About like six months before the murder. Starting from there, Angel moves in with Alec, where they did all of Angel's drugs. They did all of them? They were like, sorry, we did all your drugs, because there was a huge snowstorm and we had nothing. They were like hunkered down and just did it. So I think it's always like a power dynamic with the two of them. And I think that was the breaking point. It's the fact that like Angel had had enough and then... The other murderer... Freeze. Freeze. Heard the argument glass breaks 
there's footage you can see like Michael has like a scar on the back of his neck from where glass had gone in. There was an argument. Michael called out for help and then Freeze took the hammer. Mm. And that's what made Angel unconscious, but not what killed him. There's the whole thing about the metal versus the wood, right? Elaborate. Um, whether he was hit in the head with the metal side of the hammer or he gripped it by the metal and hit him like a club with wood. Right. Um, I don't know. Uh, well, the movie. Did Michael Alex said that he hit him with the handle of the hammer, so the wooden side. And that, like, I guess the I movie Party Monster like depicts it as the metal or something. I mean, I think it's. I mean, either way. Told that. I don't know what. Way. I'm, uh, it's a hammer either way. Yeah. Like, like you're bludgeoned with a hammer. So the cause of death reported was like asphyxiation. Mm-hmm. So he was in a bathtub and ice. I think it's apparent that whatever was happening in the bathtub was like dumbass drug addict trying to like cover up some problem, some nightmare with just yeah. like so like gross. Like, how they're like they put in the ice to like cover up the smell. Yeah, well, they covered his body in drain. so gross. And then they put ice over it, and they kept it in ice for, like, a week. And then after that... Like, how are you um, living with yourself? Well, because they're spun out on, like, heroin and meth or whatever. And he, his plan was, I'm going to take as much heroin as I can, and then one of two things is going to happen. Either I'm going to be so fucked up that I have the ability to take these meat cleavers and dismember the legs from this man's body or I'll overdose and whoever finds us dead will have two bodies to get rid of and it won't be my problem anymore and he he goes with the former they throw away the legs and then put him in a box and then they take a taxi from the apartment down to the river they put the like, there were rumors going on at the time where, like, somebody had the head, somebody had the... Like, it was very, like, open. I read... Okay, so I read... I don't know of any other story in modern day that has so many drama queens and so many attention whores. And so I can imagine that when the DEA went around asking people questions, there were people that just made up answers because they wanted to be involved in some way. They're probably not used to so many people that want to be involved in something scandalous like this because most people would want to shy away. But the kinds of people associated with this scene want to be in the paper. It didn't matter if it was negative or positive attention. I mean, I th- that sounds a little like projection because my, that was a quote from Alec, who is really the one that doesn't care if it's positive or negative attention, is also the one that was creating these rumors. He's like trying to point the finger and say that other people were going to the DEA and starting like are saying whatever it's like no girl that was you that was you that was starting rumors about yourself i kind of don't know if i think that probably a combination i mean yeah i think it's just like you know the farther hearsay goes it just gets more and more exaggerated so i feel like a lot of those were truths but they were exaggerations too so yeah who knows but either way very sad and awful and really affected nightlife that happening Michael getting arrested, and then Giuliani's laws going into place, shutting down all of these clubs. It was really kind of 
the dark end of the scene, I feel like. Yeah, a really yeah. sad, like, final chapter. The feds were going after Peter Gation yeah. pretty hard, and the reason that Michael was charged with manslaughter and not murder is because they wanted him to testify against Peter, so he wasn't their number one target, and on the other end of this, they did not give a fuck about Angel, because Angel's brother reported the missing person very early, and I guess he had to really, really push them to even get them to open up a missing person's case, and it wasn't until, I want to say like October of 96, so that's over six months after the murder, that the body, the torso, was identified as Angel's, and that's when Alec and Freeze were arrested. But they were free for over six months after the murder. That's so weird. There's videos of Alec that I've watched free talking about it, talking about, like, he's doing it like a bit. It's as if it's, like, a person addressing a ridiculous rumor that... Yeah, that's just straight-up disregard for human life. Yeah. Well, I mean, the police didn't really care. The New York in the fucking 90s. They don't fucking care. It's like a bunch of gay drug addicts. Yeah, they don't care. What's your take on Peter? I mean, you know, I think he saw opportunity. I think he was a businessman. He had multiple clubs. Like, I think he was a slimy business owner who wanted to use people for money. And I don't really know if that's, like, what we need is, like, people doing coke and K off of the bar rails. Like, I don't know if that's the club culture that we need. I mean, drugs are fine, but, like, not the way that they were using them and not the drugs that they were doing. So, like... I really don't even think that nightlife has really changed that much. Cocaine is so common. I think it's worth saying that the fentanyl problem... That's the thing is, is like, certain drugs are fine in nightlife, but what happens is, is they get laced with things nowadays, and now people are fucking dying left and right from from fentanyl and, and getting addicted to harder drugs on accident because they think that they're taking something else. And And it's um, pretty scary. Well, yeah. To be honest, though, I'm an idiot and, like, have never really thought... Not that I'm, like, out snorting random shit, like, all the time, but I am sometimes. And... uh, (laughs) I basically... It's just kind of like, oh, these people have already done it, so... Alright, like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. But I'm not walking around with, like, fentanyl strips, you know? Yeah. I want to start carrying Narcan on me. It's probably a good thing to have. Yeah. I think it would be so easy to have and be very useful. With the way that these fucking girls are doing drugs left and right, Lord knows. (laughs) Okay, so back to, where are we with this? Michael went to prison. (laughs) Michael went to prison. So he was 29 when he killed Angel along with Reese. And then he was 30 when he went to prison. And then he got out in 2014, I think. So he would have been... Girl, I don't fucking Like, about 50. Yeah. And then died in 2020. 2020. So after he got out, he lived with Ernie Glam. Yeah. For a period of time. And Ernie tried to help him get a job. He and Ernie started a video podcast, if you will. Yeah. It's called the PU after... It's an easy thing to do. I mean, well, he didn't have a ton of choices, I imagine, but it was a play on The View. So it was the PU. I don't know if if I'm saying it well, but that was their thing. Interesting humor. (laughs) (laughs) I guess. P.U. Yeah. It's like, okay. 
I watched some of it the other day. They get into like discourse around drag queens being groomers as like a topic. So is it like a current thing? It was. No, he died in twenty twenty. It was from twenty fourteen to twenty twenty. Like so, they were. Damn. They were putting this content out they recently were... enough to where like topics that we're still talking about to this day. Well, that's what I'm thinking of. Is kind of everything that's in the media right now. Yeah, right? no, that's the thing. Is like it's so in the media right now, but it also was in the media in twenty sixteen. I mean, honestly, these companies have learned what stories can get their viewers addicted to their screens. And this groomer drag queen shit, they've been running that for years. Like they know how to get the conservatives hooked to their screens and they know how to get the libs like, like it's like you're either, you know, outraged or you're like pearl clutching or whatever. Like mm. it's, but it, it's, you're being manip, like the media is manipulating both to kind of be overly uh, fearful about trans people or the perceived fear of trans genocide like like it's like so you're coming at it as more of like a media based um as yeah with the like drag queen groomer shit i think yeah that all around the same media conglomerate is cashing in i guess that just sucks because we are the people that are suffering in the end though it pisses me off and actually kind of annoys me because i'm like when did this become you know, like no, literally, yeah. like because like, a year ago or like two years ago, like when was everyone so pissed off about drag queen story art? I'm like, God, it's so like I'm like, yeah. who gives a fuck? Yeah. Ugh. Anyway, so <laughs> Alec. Okay. In prison, he was in solitary confinement for a long time because he was doing heroin. Wait, in prison? In prison. So I think that you could probably attribute that to the prison guards having an extra source of income from pushing heroin in the prison. Um, I don't know how, like, drug smuggling in prisons works at all. I don't know how they get away with it. I think it's, like, through the the guards. I I will die if I ever go to jail. I'll hold the phone up to the mic while you have, like, your one minute of, like, talk time and you can still, uh... Get your get your two cents on the podcast. I hope you don't go to prison. This is all. I'll give you some commentary. If I haven't gone yet. <laughs> anyway, Michael would be very comfortable joking about prison, but uh, we're not him. <laughs> Here I am joking about prison. But no. But also not joking about. I would die if I went to fucking prison. I'm sure it was a scary place. I'm sure that it was not a fun place for Michael. Yeah, and he probably was molested. Oh, absolutely. You said he was in solitary for... Yeah, he was in solitary for like two years. Yeah. But he says he couldn't have gotten sober without it. But he also just went right back to drugs once he got out of prison. So (laughs) I don't really know if it's like them sending people who are like addicts to jail to kind of like sober them up is almost like a rehab is it doesn't work it's it's usually like right after you get out of jail you go back to doing what you were doing the only thing he knows how to do is work in nightlife and so if you go get out of jail and the only connections that you have are nightlife connections and then you're back into the space that originally it made you addicted to drugs after coming out of being in jail for like 20 years or whatever I mean I feel like it's just important maybe if we want to shift the topic of changing it from a flawed person into the beauty of what the club kids 
originally started with, which was anybody can belong, anybody can be a part of this, be yourself, be outrageous, don't care what people think. Like these are all positive like yeah. affirmations that I think we can take from the club kids pushing forward into our future and then learning from the mistakes of you know yeah. but it's like do we even still learn from these mistakes is queer nightlife any different than what it was then if so what and what's not like it's hard to look back on it and not talk about michael which is why we're talking about him today and like why he's like such a notorious gay villain yeah the glory and the gore yeah. it's very it's shocking Thank you.